But I said, screw it, just do it. I'm going to walk. It'll be ugly. It'll be painful. I'll look terrible because I was early on in my recovery. But I was like, screw it. That's my goal. I'm going to do that. And when I achieved that, that early on in my recovery, I had this epiphany that that was kind of the way I'd like do everything. Just screw it. Just do it. Set a goal. Go for it. Everyone has ambitions, things they want to do or where they want to be. For most of us, those ambitions are still on the to-do list. You get round to them one day. But some people overcame procrastination. They knew the risks. They said screw it and just did it anyway. I, your host Alex Chisnell, am on a mission to hear from the world's most brilliant minds, inspirational entrepreneurs, leaders in human optimization, entertainers, authors, those on this big journey of life who all took the leap. They became the people they wanted to be. They had the vision, followed through with the action, made progress, and they got from where they were to where they wanted to be. In this series of revealing, challenging, and often surprising conversations, my hope is to inspire you. Screw it and just do it. Get from where you are to where you want to be. If you aren't already, make sure to subscribe so you're the first to be notified when a new episode is released. And you can now watch this and all future episodes on YouTube. Just search, screw it, just do it. Now on to today's show. If you're looking to live life without limits and get from where you are right now to where you want to be, then we might just be able to help you. We've partnered with Spartan and Tough Mudder to offer you the opportunity to join a community of normal individuals with an abnormal commitment to overcoming challenges. They create some of the world's most intense obstacle courses designed to test your physical strength, mental grit, and aptitude for camaraderie. Committing to one of these races in 2024 will help you develop the physical and mental strength to take on all of life's challenges with an unbreakable spirit. Podcast listeners can save 30% with the code TOUGHMUD30. That's T-O-U-G-H-M-U-D-30. Any 2024 Tough Mudder UK event, both distances 3 to 5 miles, 10 plus miles. The discount expires 29th of February at 11.59pm. Just head over to toughmudder.co.uk forward slash events and enter the code at checkout. This offer cannot be used in conjunction with any other offer or discount and excludes any of the endurance races or little mudders. Podcast listeners can also save 30% with the code TOUGHMUD30 for any 2024 Spartan UK event. That's Sprint, Super and Beast. Again, discount expires 29th of February at 11.59pm. Just head over to uk.spartan.com forward slash en and enter the code at checkout. Again, this offer cannot be used in conjunction with any other offer or discount and excludes any of the other endurance race series. I, for one, am going to be signing up as we're putting together a Screw It, Just Do It team for one of the races being held in the UK this May. I hope to see you there. Mark, keen to understand how you went from being blown up by an IED, Mm -hmm. told you never walk again, to now being entrepreneur, podcaster, author, things that 99% of the population never ever get around to doing even one of those things okay. let alone all three of them there's a quote on your website so i'm yep. just going to read that out so which says my situation and circumstances don't define my life 
what defines my life is the meaning I've chosen to attach to what happened to me and to the positive lessons I've learned along the way. When did you articulate that? Because it's pretty empowering when you see that on your website first off. I don't remember particularly where, where that came from or who was asking me questions and, and how that got spat out of my mouth. But yeah, I mean, I mean, it's true. I just don't think that for me, for a lot of people, that our current situations should define or dictate our future situations. Mm. You know what I mean? We live, I mean, it's 2024. You know, you can run a business from a smartphone. You've got access to, or well, I've got access to, the, the best technology in the world when it comes to prosthetics. You know, we've got a, an abundance of information at our fingertips if you're on a smartphone, which everybody does. There's just nothing really I don't see holding anybody back, no matter what the situation is, from from going out there and creating the life that they want to live. Mm. You know, and this is the life that I want to live. Yeah. And what is it that you think you've spoken spoken to a lot of people, met a lot of people through the different things that you do? What do you think it is that stops people starting? What is it that holds people back? Fear, lack of confidence, overwhelm, maybe. You know, I think some people are scared that they'll fail and get laughed at. Some people are scared that they will succeed and, and not know how to handle it and end up drowning in the admin and the overwhelm of it all. You know, some people don't know where to start and that creates overwhelm. Mm. And then they just don't get started. They procrastinate and then, you know, 10 years go by and they're still not started. I just think you need to have a clear vision of what it is that you want for your life. And, you know, let, let's not skip over the, the early part of all of this. You know, I sat down and spent, a lot of time working on myself and, and digging inside myself and trying to figure out the answer to this, you know, eliciting my values, creating a vision for my life, deciding what it was that I wanted to do in my life, then creating a plan around it to achieve it and then taking action on that plan. And I've been at it for, well, I just had my 16 year anniversary on Christmas Eve of being injured. So I've been running down this road for about 13, 14 years now, you know, but I, I kind of knew you got to know where you're going, right? Because if you run 100%. 100 mile an hour, but in the wrong direction, <laughs> you're wasting your time. Yeah. And, and, and we all do that to, to a certain degree, I think. You're, or you, you think you're going down, you know, down, down the right path and you, you go at it hammer and tongs before mm. realizing. Um, what I remember my best mate saying to, the, saying to me this. He was doing, you know, these three different things. He was like, I'm, I'm off in, in um, somewhere in, the, in Eastern Europe. We're buying a bank. He goes, uh, then I'm in the, the Northeast of England. We're building like, thousands of houses and then he was like I suddenly realized actually interested in doing any of those things or right. doing it for someone else yeah, yeah i was going at it hammer and tongs yeah. and it seemed amazing all these shiny things but they weren't my dream they were somebody else's dream yeah and that creates conflict doesn't it you know what i mean because i like working hard do you know what i mean but it has to be on something that i care about and that i'm passionate about and i was going to say i feel very lucky in that i've never had to do a job or, or earn an income doing something that I don't like and I'm not passionate about. There was a very brief period in my life, you know, when I dropped out of sixth form college before I joined the Marines and took a job in McDonald's because where I live, they're, they're this new complex built with a, a cinema and restaurants and everything. If you worked in a complex, you could access the gym for £20 a month. Whereas before, if you didn't, you had to pay a monthly membership every time you trained there and like some sort of yearly subscription. And I was like 16, I couldn't afford it. Mm. So I took a, a job in McDonald's and I didn't like that. And that gave <laughs> me a, a, a taste early on of what it felt like to, to exchange your time for money doing something that you're not really passionate about. Yeah. So I knew when I was in the Marines, that was my passion. 
and I knew it was important that when I was discharged, I found a new purpose and a new passion and pursued that instead. Yeah, and I'm I'm really interested to to get into that. But before we do, just to like frame it, and you, you mentioned their 16 years uh, anniversary there. Um, that Christmas Eve in, in 2007, um, do you remember everything, mm -hmm. bits of it, nothing? Yeah, pretty much all of it. Yeah. Yeah, it was pretty, pretty intense and chaotic and terrifying. Um, you know, I, so the short version of this is I was three months into a six month tour of Afghanistan. I was second in command of a group of eight men out on a routine foot patrol. And we were tasked with giving, we call it overwatch. So it basically means protection to another group of eight men that we were patrolling with. Uh, seven of the eight men in my section had taken fire positions and were doing their jobs. And I was the last one to get into my fire position. And I was getting down onto my stomach and I put my right knee on the floor and knelt on and detonated an improvised explosive device, which instantly took off both my legs uh, above the knee and my right arm above the elbow. An extremely, well, at least from my point of view, an extremely chaotic casualty evacuation then ensued. And it is only due to the extreme professionalism and courage of those other seven men that I was working with that I'm here today. Very intense scenario. A lot could go wrong, but it didn't. Fortunately, everything everything went well and, and right. And they got me out of there very, very quickly. You know, it, it was... I'm skipping over the details, but I mean, there were some pretty gruesome things. I had to have my what was left of my foot and my arm that would attach to my body still, kind of cradled on my stomach while I was put on a stretcher, taken out of vehicle, fell out of the vehicle, was held in the vehicle with my femur bone, died as the plane landed, got revived in the back of the, the helicopter using, it was a technique that had never even been theorized before. Um, where basically if you're trying to get fluids into somebody and you can't, which they couldn't with me because my veins are collapsed because of the blood loss, mm. then you can drill into the casualties tibia and fibula. But I didn't have a tibia or fibula. They'd been torn off by the landmine. So these medics decided to drill into my hip bone. Ne never even been discussed in the world before. They just had no choice. They were out of, I had limited options of what you could get mm. an intravenous line into. And, uh, yeah, they did that, and three minutes later, I was awake again. They'd already they wow. classed me as dead on the back of there. No pulse, um, no wasn't breathing according to them. Um, and then in, in all that chaos, they just had a, a really good idea. Thought they tested it, and it worked. Thankfully, so they they were amongst the chaos. Chaos. They must have been super calm. I I I don't know. They yeah. are, they are the the job that I did. A lot of people say you know, how could you do a job like that? Because it does take a really high level of professionalism and standards. But to me, because it aligned with who I am, it wasn't that difficult. What they do, I could not do. Yeah. I yeah, could not yeah. do that. I, I could not, I don't think I could handle the pressure of having someone's life like that in, in my hands. And, you know, I've met all the team that were on, I don't remember any of it, that part, but I've met the entire team who were on that, Chinook helicopter since that day and, and they said and they, they always try to be polite but I was just a, like a, a slab of raw meat just like you know three limbs that looked like a pack of dogs had attacked it just torn to shreds and blood coming out of everywhere I was I think I only had the top half of my t-shirt on you know, I was naked everything would have been incinerated they said they'd never seen anything 
that intense before. So, you know, from a medical point of view, you know, the procedure I just told you, you imagine how limited their options are. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's like the dude's got one arm, the veins are collapsed. You know, what do we do with this guy? Yeah. And none of them thought I'd survive. Obviously, I did um, because of their professionalism and their bravery. But yeah, and I think subsequently, the tours after, they, they learned a lot from that one incident and then went on to make some huge improvements in their systems and their processes dealing with casualties thereafter because you know unfortunately you know i was the first to survive losing three limbs but there were a lot after me okay and they they saved a lot of lives Mm. um and i think all those lessons then came back here to the uk and and other places in the world where they advanced their procedures and and, you know systems and everything so you know not not the kind of experiment that i'd want to volunteer for (laughs) to try and improve (laughs) the medical world no But, yeah. you know, like with everything, you know, out of any bad situation, if if you look hard enough, you can see a lot of good. Yeah. You know, and there's been a lot of good come out of this one. And you mentioned meeting up with the team there. What about the, the colleagues who are on that mission with you? Are they still surveying? Uh, well, I mean, it's been, been 16 years. Some have, have left. Some are still in. Right. I, myself, would have retired after 22 years in October, just gone. Okay. So the only other person I know that was with us that day was the guy in charge who joined training with me and he's retired now so that right. people would have retired moved on left you know mm. done other things so i don't think any of them are still serving and you know given what happened to you happened to you and, and talking about the the team that looked after you there are you religious spiritual anything like that or before or after i think i'm more that way inclined now due to partly due to this but also due to age do you know what i mean there's life learning and I think so yeah and you know I do believe in fate if you like like everything happens for a reason yeah like I said there were people before me that were were severely injured there were people after me that were severely injured and for some reason I survived and was able to rebuild and and take my life to where it is now and it hasn't been easy it's been horrendous at times but I guess there was a reason why I was able to do that. So yeah, I mean, I'm just going to, my, my plan is to continue down this path, um, continue building on what I've already built, continue doing the things that I'm already doing because I really have got a life now that I love living. Awesome. It's very fulfilling. There's a lot of meaning to it personally. I feel like I have a purpose, you know, and then yeah, at, you can talk about being spiritual and religious or whatever, you know, at the end of the day, you know, when you're on your deathbed, I'm planning on living to at least 140. I reckon I could get to about 140. But when I'm there with my 64 grandkids and 28 great grandkids all around my bed, you know, I want to know that I squeeze all the juice out of life. You know what I mean? And I, I don't really think I have any excuse or reason why I can't do that because I have the technology. Mm-hmm. I have the people around me. The opportunities are there. You just got to go get them. You do. You do. But a lot of people don't have their eyes and, and ears open to, to even see the opportunity mm. that's right in, in front of them a lot of the time, eh? What, what is your purpose now? My overarching mission in life for a long time now has been to become the ultimate version of myself, which is completely unattainable, which is why it's so perfect, because it means that you never stop reaching for it yeah. and improving day by day by day by day. And what I've found happens is 
as I become the person that I want to be, I attract more of the stuff that's naturally aligned with my values in life. Yeah. You know, projects, people, organizations, collaborations, whatever it is, more and more stuff just ends up coming into my life that I have a passion for. And I want to take my life and my story. It's very uncomfortable for me to say this. I don't like saying this, but I want to take my, my story and the things that I've done, the things that I've learned and use it to inspire others. Do you know what I mean? Not in a way like, oh, look at me. Look how great I am. Look what I did. But I just want people to see maybe on social media or whatever. You know, look at that guy. He's got one hand, but he runs three businesses. Cool. It can't be that difficult then. Mm. And then they give it a go. And then they un- uncover a, a talent or a passion or their new purpose. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I don't think enough people in the in the world spend enough time working on themselves to figure this stuff out. That's why some people I think are so unhappy. They work a job that they don't want to work to pay bills, you know, and they maybe go on holiday once a year if they're lucky. And they're just in, in a cycle of, yeah, yeah. you know, do you know what I mean? And 100%. And I think a lot of that is people don't do what, what you articulated before, where they, they don't actually set a destination and then work out a plan on how to get to that destination they they let life make those decisions for them make like they make plans for themselves i was was listening to chris evans on the radio on on the way up and it's like you know what what is your plan for february because if you don't plan for february Mm. february's going to plan you Mm -hmm. it's the same with life if you don't plan your life someone's going to plan it for you you'd be running around doing you know all the jobs for for your business all the the admin tasks for your family and your friends and then you get to the end of the week and like what did i do for me yeah do you know what i mean yeah, yeah. what's fa- what fascinates me about the world now like if if i was passionate about jam and i knew everything there was to know about jam every flavor every technique to make it you know every fact that there was i could make a hundred grand a year plus just talking about jam I could start a YouTube channel. As long as there's enough other people out there that are passionate about jam, yeah. you can get subscribers and you can monetize that. You can write a book about it. You can write ebooks about it. You can start a podcast about it. You then create your own brand. You then open your own store. Then you franchise the stores. And before you know it, you've got this huge jam franchise from this thing that you're really passionate about that's making you six, seven figures a year. Because it's all out. It's hard. What a hurt. No, no, and I'm smiling well, because uh, for those who are listening, because I love it. There's your blueprint right there. And it, and maybe as we were talking off air before we we overthink these things whereas as you say those are the opportunities mm. out there on how you can you can make something like that how you can actually take action yeah. got the vision but then it's it's taking those actions isn't yeah. it and it's actually getting started fighting through the fear not getting overwhelmed and being and resilient being resilient all the failures all, i've got already this year we're not even in february yet and i've really tried to step it up like doing things i'm uncomfortable with mm. and for me that involves reaching out to ask for opportunities or create them and that involves a lot of people telling you no yeah like constantly no thank you but not at this time yeah. you're not quite what we're looking for uh we're not in that space right now and it's hard like mm. it's like getting kicked in the gut every time it is. but it is. it's part of the process yeah you know what i mean there's a million stories out there about people who have been through exactly the same and they've stuck with it they've been resilient and then one day it all comes together and then they everyone says oh you're so lucky you're an overnight success <laughs> <laughs> and there's you know no I mean? such thing there yeah. is no such thing yeah no. nodding uh knowingly there because it's interesting like i've tried to do the same thing myself in january with regards to you know putting yourself uh, in uncomfortable situations 
you know, one of them was was physical, which was raising money for a charity called My Time Young Carers and going in the sea for 31 consecutive days, mm-hmm. which myself and a, and a small group of friends did. And that was that was tough. That was as tough, if not tougher than training for New York Marathon last mm-hmm. year that, that I did. And it's, you know, we were doing it, adding another layer of difficulty, which was doing it in the pitch black. Okay. And then we had those kind of minus five week that we had you know that was tough but then mental side of doing things i'm uncomfortable with was again as you mentioned there reaching out to different organizations for opportunities mm. but it literally took me until this week to actually force myself to do it like three three and a half weeks of literally it being on you know and i'm time boxing the day and i'm got this is the hour i'm going to do that mm-hmm. and not doing it and just right. not doing yeah. it and then literally i did two yesterday and both of them came straight back to me and one of them was like um i worked directly with the marketing team this is exactly what i've been pushing for the last 12 months let me have the conversation both of them well let me get back to you next week because i'm doing this this and this but there's definite interest there and you're like just ask the bloody question it's not that scary once they come back at least you know either way right and then you realize it's not that scary it's not that big a deal and then you know it's like throwing darts at a dartboard, isn't it? You throw a thousand, maybe three stick, and the rest don't. Yeah. You know yeah. I mean, that's just the numbers. You just got to be willing to face constant rejection. Yeah. And and I, I think, you know, those no's, if, if you kind of reframe that as well, it's like um, there's a yes out there for you, and you're just collecting no's. You're yeah. going to get closer to the yes, aren't you? But it's, it's that, yeah. you know, as you say, you've, you've, got to th- you've got to throw a lot of darts at the board, but you try and want to be focused rather than be scattergun mm. in, in that approach as well don't you yeah yeah i mean i'm i'm also trying to be smarter this year as well so i'm hiring i've got some teams i've got a team that look after my social media now i've got a virtual assistant really grown yours haven't you i saw it yeah because and that's it because i've connected. you yeah. know yeah. learning to let go of things and let people that are much smarter than i am do <laughs> the things that i struggle with yeah and i don't don't just struggle with it because i'm not an expert i, I struggle with it because of time and I'm not, I don't think I'm a very creative person. I, you know, you see all these people out there creating this content that they plan and, you know, that doesn't interest me. I, I'm no good at planning. I'm very good at doing what I'm told, almost like an actor. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You give me a script and tell me what I need to do and I can do that. But if you ask me to come up with ideas, I'm not very good. So I'm like, okay, well, how can I get better? I'll get someone who's smarter than me and more creative than me mm. to work with me to help me de- to, to grow it. Mm. And yeah, it's, it's blowing up a little bit now. Amazing. So yeah, just letting go of that that uh, control and, uh, and that's what it is isn't it yeah it's, it's holding scary. on to those things that yeah. um that yeah, yeah it's <laughs> really scary not to be in control but yeah you know let go of control and then you can grow love it love it tell me a little bit about family because i was reading that when you when you had you know going back to 2007 i'm assuming you know you blacked out at some point woke up in the hospital and in a moment of consciousness you proposed to your girlfriend i did yeah tell yeah. us about that so it was the 28th of october 28th of december and i remember i was choking on a feeding tube that they had stuck down my throat and i was when i say exhausted like imagine the tiredest you've ever been and then multiply it by ten thousand. I, I remember laying there in this bed after they pulled the tubes out of my throat and it felt like someone had put fishing hooks in my eyelids and put weights on them i couldn't even open my eyes that i was focusing all my energy to my eyelids to try and i couldn't do it and i could see like the blurry outline of the the lights in the hospital room and i could hear people around me and i think because of the drugs that i was on and the medication 
everything was repeating like echoing and it was quite confusing all all these voices and you know all this repetition but i recognized um becky's voice and she was close to me and i, I could hardly speak i was just like murmuring and i did i proposed to her there in intensive care and she was like what did you say i can't hear you say it again and i was just kind of going and she went did you just ask me to marry you and she said I gave this little crooked smile after that and then just blacked out again and was out <laughs> just exhausted. Wow. And then they kind of, they reduced the medication a little bit the next day. And I came out of the, the coma a little bit more compass mentis. Mm. And uh, yeah, they spent the next seven days just gradually weaning me off this medication to bring me into the real world so I could understand what was going on. Mm. And is that one of the, those things then that, that gave you, gave you hope, gave you something to kind of focus focus on as well mm. yeah absolutely you know you gotta have stuff to focus on especially in situations like that where everything seems terrible and, and awful and against you and you do feel very lonely you know what i mean like you can have a, you can have 50 people around you friends and family and people that you love but you're the one going through it and you feel like no one understands it mm. so having that that one person or those two or three people that are you know that extra little bit close to you helps to ease that burden a little bit you know having becky there you know that the nights that i cried during those first six weeks and she's there to, to pick me up and you know push me on mm. you know to the next next day and the next day and the next day and then you know before you know it the weeks and months have passed and you're you're out there rehabbing and trying to take take back control of your life mm. how, how important is family to you it's huge mate it's huge and i think the older you get the more you realize that yeah like I don't know, this week and, and even last night particularly, like I, I travel a lot. I'm always all over the place with speaking engagements, meetings, this, that, and the other. And normally I'm quite good with it. But this last couple of weeks, I've really been like homesick. And both my daughters rang me yesterday. One's 19 and one's 10. They both rang me in tears last oh, night with so issues that they're facing. They're like, I was in a yeah. hotel, sat in the Premier Inn on my own. That's why I spent most of my life just in a hotel on my own. And they were just both bawling their eyes out about things. And I couldn't, I'm 220 miles away from them. Do you know what I mean? I just wanted to be there. It's hard. You know, it, it's hard being a, a mother or a father and any kind of parent because you've got to try and balance being there for your family, but actually providing for them. Yeah. Because I was having this conversation with my wife yesterday. You know, I really feel so. My, my grandparents, before they died, gave me and my sister. Twenty thousand pounds to get started in life and get Amazing. a property. That's what I bought my first house with. Hmm. And you know, now I've got three kids of my own. I, I look at the world now. I look at rent. I look at food. I look at wages, and I'm like, how are they ever going to start? So now I, I take that burden on of working more, doing more, earning more, saving more, investing more, trying to help them out. I don't. I'm not gonna ever molly coddle them for it all because they need to learn lessons. They need to figure that out. But I can give them a little kick up the backside and a little boost to get them started, like my grandparents did for me. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's hard to balance that being there, but then them understanding. And I don't tell them this. I don't because I, I don't want them to know that until the day that it happens. But trying to balance being there physically and, and emotionally with them, mm. but also traveling all over the world to get the money to do these things. Yeah. You know. 
it, it is tough, isn't it? Because it's it it and in in, in you, I know what it's like, you know. And again, know the travel lodges and the and the premier premier inns. It's given them all their advertising space. Um, mm. But the, those kind of faceless faceless rooms, and I always think those that time seems to go far more slowly than the time, for example, that I'm speaking to you now. Those mm. hours seem to drag by, and you could be anywhere in the world in yeah. in, in those rooms, couldn't you? Um, and when you, you know, you have that phone call to say good night or you, you get something like that. How old did you say your daughters were? 10 and 10 and 19, 19. Mm. Yeah. So I've got two teenagers like 15 and 16 and it's, um, girls, especially I think is, is, is a tricky age, isn't yeah. it? You're at that age now with, uh, friendship circles at school. Oh, One yeah, minute yeah. you're popular, next minute you're not. And, and I, you know, my eldest daughter went through that as well. Yeah. And I think don't hate me for saying this anybody but i think girls are worse than boys when it comes to that boys just like have a kick about play rugby and you know generally stay in their, their same circles but mm. with the girls one minute you're in one minute you're out yeah it's just it's horrible it seems watch. that way doesn't it whereas yeah. the, like my, my my brother's got two boys virtually the same age and um and my two girls and it's like they just like thump each other and then they're friends again right. whereas i too it just spins on and on and mm. on isn't it be be that through social media you know whispering mm. stories made up stories and stuff like that and yeah. as a father you just want to go in there and create merry hell but you're yeah. gonna do anybody any good and it's gonna make it even worse for them isn't it yeah you know? but it just it breaks your heart when it does when you just think of them at school now at the break time sat in the corner feeling sad on their own because someone's being mean to them and they don't want to include them and you just want to go and scoop them up and take them out like last weekend you know she came on friday really upset my little one and uh we spent the whole weekend, you know, in, in uh, what are they called, like these trampoline parks, yeah, and, um, shopping. And if you know anything about me, you know I I detest shopping. So that's like Should a huge thing for me to sacrifice to go there into the mall <laughs> and get dragged around on a Saturday. Um, but yeah, it's just it's just not nice. No, it's not. And tell tell me about um, Mark as a teenager then, and um, I read that it was your your father taking you to visit an uncle mm. who's retired Royal Marine that yeah. got you down that path ultimately. Yeah. Yeah. No, originally I was going to join the army. I didn't know who the Royal Marines were. I had a friend in the army, took me down to speak to the recruiter. And then my dad told me about my uncle. So I went to see him and what he had to say intrigued me. But then when I went and watched the recruiting video, I was sold like guys fast for up on helicopters, parachuting, skiing in Norway with huge packs on, patrolling the jungle in the water up to their chest, assaulting beaches and raiding craft. And I was like, damn, these guys are like the ultimate all-rounders. You know what I mean? So mm -hmm. you know, from, from the minute I saw that recruiting video, that was all I wanted to do in my entire life. So heads up to the marketing department. They did a really good job on the video. They, they did. I, I don't know. I haven't seen a, <laughs> an advert recently. I don't know what their latest marketing trend is i'm actually in one of their recruiting videos oh yeah when i first passed yeah. out of training in october 2001 in november they filmed another one that went in the cinemas and because i was just hanging around doing security waiting to go on a course they uh spent four days filming a recruiting video for them yeah, yeah my yeah. mate of mine is um is head of recruitment now guy trying to get him in into the studio to kind of chat about what what it's like you know behind okay. behind the scenes but uh, whether we will because of what needs signing off and gotcha yeah, it yeah, yeah. sounds quite tricky mm. <laughs> or time it could take some time yeah. you know not that he's reticent to do it and what do you think it was you know so that obviously captured your imagination as a as a teenager 
what action did you then need to take to to get there and so that was it so quite an early age that was quite a what's the word i'm looking for it looked quite simple in your mind like a to b the path is literally mm-hmm. like that i need to just go from from here to here what did you need to do to be able to get there i mean on a practical level you know my parents signed the paperwork sent it off went back to school did my exams muddled my way through some sort of training to keep fit eventually got asked to go and do a three-day course which is like a like a three-day boot camp to first of all for them to see if you're ready and secondly to see if it's actually the job that you want to do just having a little taster of it and i managed to pass that went home with one of their training programs and just spent the rest of my time training okay you know i was in the, either in the gym or pounding the streets stuck to this program to the letter and just waited for them to send me a, a letter inviting me to start training it's pretty pretty simple but mm. i think this goes back to what i said at the beginning i knew what i wanted to do and nothing else mattered i had no plan b i burnt the boats you know it was that or nothing and that's what kept me going through the training because i wanted to quit it every day you know i'm 17 years old surrounded by men like drowning every day in the the vast amount of information and, and the pace of life and i lived 45 minutes away from camp so i thought i could be home in my bed for an hour mm. every day it was so tempting but I just didn't know what I would do if I quit. And I managed to somehow like project myself forward in time. Because where we do our training, it's got a dedicated train station. So you go to Exit St. David's and you get this little bone rattler and it turns up and it's at the bottom field where the assault course is. Okay. And it's just dedicated for camp. And I, I could see myself sat on the train, looking into camp with guys running around doing the ropes and the assault courses. And I could feel the feelings that when that train went, you know, choo-choo, and I felt the wheel move, that I'd feel instant regret if I quit. Yeah. And that kept me there the whole time. Did it? Like, no matter how low I got, I could, I could feel, I knew what it would feel like. The second that train pulled away, I'd, I'd think, no, I've made a mistake. And then I'd have to go home, explain that I didn't have what it'd take to make it, face my uncle, who would mm. just like, in my mind, would be ashamed of me, <laughs> and then go, okay, what do I do now? Do I go back to McDonald's? I, I don't know. What, what's the deal? Yeah. And I, I just, it, that's a powerful motivator if you've got no plan B. It is. And, and is that something that you, you carry on through with you now? I, in certain areas of my life, I do, yeah. yeah. If I've got to be hyper-focused, like when I competed in the Invictus Games, it was very similar. Right. It was like, this is my priority right now. Nothing else matters. Not not fun, no excitement. You know, if some crazy opportunity came across my desk, then I'd have to rethink things. But I was just hyper-focused on winning gold medals, you know, and, and just doing whatever it took to do that. And you did. Yeah. Yeah, four of them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thought we'd get that in there. Yeah. Amazing. And what was the the training like for that? For the games? Yeah. A lot of it's really down to you as an individual. So I had a full-time job at the time. Mm. So I'd get up at five in the morning. I would bum walk down to my garage. And I had a, my hand bike on a terrible trainer and a rowing machine. And it was, it was freezing in this garage. It was so hard to like drag yourself down there every morning. And I'd do cardio. Then I'd go to work. Then I'd do strength and conditioning in the evening. And then on the weekends, you have to travel the country to... I think we were in Bath, Liverpool, Manchester, Edinburgh, Plymouth, Bristol, like all over the place to do sports specific camps. So uh, okay. rowing, swimming, 
hand cycling, whatever it was, but they're all over the country. So you'd go there for like three days over the weekend. So it was exhausting. Like you're just working all week, training twice a week, three, four times a day, then traveling to camps on weekends. So it, it was exhausting. But like I said, it was, I was hyper-focused on it. And that was all I cared about in that period was just getting those medals and then moving on to the next thing. And that kind of fear of failure drove you on? Yeah, I think so. I just, I wanted to go into something that I'd never really done before and come out with the top prize. You know what I mean? Just to see if I could. Yeah. And what about when it's different, when you, you're not in control of the plan and when you, you know, woke up in hospital and, you know, I'm assuming, you know, they put a plan together for you, for your rehab to get you from, from A to B again. How is that different with, with your mindset of like trusting those experts to get you from where you need to be? Well, it was a bit of a collaboration. So within three weeks, I was doing rehab in my hospital bed once i'd learned how to sit up in bed because i only had the use of two fingers initially because i had a huge hole in my hand from a shrapnel wound wow once i'd learned to sit up and balance we got a like a table tennis paddle and a balloon and i would sit on the end of the bed and my physio would put it in and i'd have to reach out far and tap it and start engaging my core okay because they explained that the muscles i now needed to walk were very different to the ones that I used before. So I started, they didn't want me to do any of that. This is what I'm saying, it's a collaboration. I convinced them and then we started collaborating on rehab going forward. Okay. And uh, you know, that there was a point when I left hospital, went into rehab and was learning to walk again where I had to go against the grain. So no, I was the first triple amputee since I think the first, maybe the second world war. No one had dealt with me before. Every day was difficult. Every day they, we had to figure out what to do because no one had walked that path before me. Mm. And I found someone in America who was a triple amputee who was living completely independently, like no wheelchair, no carers, swimming, mm. running, all of it. And I asked to go meet him and they said no. And then the short version of this is I went anyway. Right. I went, I went AWOL from the military for three weeks on the 9th of June 2009 because I knew that I had to take control of my rehab at that point if I wanted to have an independent and fulfilling future. I couldn't keep wading through treacle, trying to figure it out myself. I had to go somewhere, find someone who's been there, seen it, done it, and come out the other side and learn from them. Yeah, totally makes sense to me. And that's yeah. what I did. Like yeah. him and his team, his name's Cameron. Cameron and his team had been doing this for six years, like living as a triple amputee, pushing the boundaries, doing the things that everyone tell them wasn't possible. The things that I was getting told weren't possible with my level of amputations. He was doing them. So I'm like, well, let me go learn from this guy then. And yeah. then I can bring this back and we can teach other people because there were other triples and doubles coming through the system at that point. But they said no. And, uh, you know, I didn't just go, you know, F you, I'm going. Yeah. It took a couple of weeks of waking up at two, three in the morning, having conversations with my wife about what the right thing to do is. Because I'm a soldier, you know, you got to do what you're told. Mm. But I think we both agreed in the end, like 10 years time, none of these people will be in my life. So I'll go. I'll get disciplined when I come back and then I'll just leave anyway. So that's what I did. I went 9th of June, 2009, never used a wheelchair since, you know, and when I was in hospital, I got told I had zero chance of ever being able to walk. Yeah. Read so, that. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And, and when you receive news like that, how did your brain process that? Well, I mean, when I was told that back in hospital, I, I wanted to take my own life. That's the serious side of this. You know, I was 24 years old. 
I went from being six foot two, 16 stone, the peak of my physical fitness, to being 24 years old, three foot five, less than nine stone in weight, with, in my mind back then, no future at 24 years old. Mm. And then being told by a professional that I'll never walk again made it even worse. You know, so I went through four or five days of anger, bitterness, depression, you know, all, all of that. And then eventually got out of it. And, uh, you know, there, there was one other time in that first six weeks, it was the, the first time I saw myself in a full length mirror. You know, I spent the whole night crying with Becky in, in a flat outside the hospital. But then literally those two times were, were like the lowest I've been. And everything since then has just been right. Give me a go. Get on my way. Let's go. And that's it. Like, and that's, that's for me, it's the magic formula. You know, I had a purpose. I set my goals. I got good people around me over the months and years. I started getting rid of all the, what I call morale vampires. The ones saying, oh, you can't do that, Mark, because your amputations are, you know, they'll limit you doing this. You limit you doing that. I'm like, find me someone that is going to help me try. Mm. Yeah. And I just start like replacing people. It sounds brutal, but, no, but just replacing people yeah. or limiting the time I spend with them. And then life just took off you know what i mean it's not that difficult of a formula really you know have a purpose know what you want set your goals create a plan get around good people take action and also something you said earlier um i wanted to touch on as well being fulfilled in doing that mm -hmm. is is key as well isn't it yep. you have to find fulfillment because otherwise it doesn't align with the purpose does it no and you know i find a lot of fulfillment in my own personal development Mm -hmm. So like we're talking about like the failures, the no's, the getting back up. In the beginning, when you, you look at it very differently and, and it's hard to understand, but then as you get older and wiser, you read more books, meet successful people, understand the game a little bit better, you start to embrace all that. You're like, okay, cool, no, happy days. On to the next one, on to the next one. Oh, I failed that. Oh, what did I learn? Okay, let's test, adjust, move on, try again, go. And you enjoy the process more and you go to bed at night smiling. Like, because even if you didn't, achieve anything you wanted to in that day you've grown as a person you've learned something and then you understand that's what it's really all about yeah do you know what i mean yeah so it's fun even even when you fail you win agreed it's just a lesson it's mm -hmm. the way. whereas you know me 10 years ago coming out of you know corporate life at virgin for 17 years the the first time i tried to start a business which which ultimately you know failed tried to grow too quickly at the time the worst thing in the world that could have happened to me like the shame you mm. know everything fell to pieces uh, around me you know couldn't pay the bills couldn't look after the the family you know mm. in my in my mind and then afterwards now i look back and go, i would love to meet the, the the guy back then who'd um you know sold me this dream that then you know quickly quickly turned to ashes and and i kind of tried to grow too quickly it was like the sports injury clinics that, that that we had tried to you know grow too quickly but now i look back and go i'd like to meet him shake his hand and say thank you for sharing this you know the best lesson i've ever received in yeah. my life yeah you know sometimes um, they're expensive lessons very. but they all add to the story <laughs> they do you know because when you do you know hit that that peak you want to hit you can share these stories and I, I find they help this is this is what's helped me listening to other people's stories about whether it's their rehab, whether it's business, whether it's sport, whatever it is, listening to their journeys that they've been through. I get a lot from people that are very open and, and raw and honest. Mm. You know, I think you can learn a lot from that. So this is why I do all this kind of stuff in social media, because I'd like to be open and raw and honest and share my failures and shortcomings so that if anyone else is going through it, yeah. they go, oh, okay, actually, it's part of the process. It's natural, mm. you know, 
keep on going. It's tough being vulnerable, I find, but you you see how much more engagement you get with people mm. when you do that for for the exact reasons that that you mentioned. Because mm. people, if you, if you're having those thoughts, and and then you guarantee it, there's other people who are having exactly the same thoughts mm. out there at the same time. And that's what you got to focus on, right? Mm. It's quite funny. Never in 15 plus years of being on social media have I ever received trolls or haters except for the last like six months really and in the beginning it used to make me angry yeah and then I, and i'm like i bet if this person saw me face to face they wouldn't say this yeah you know what i mean but now i get to that point now when i i actually again embrace it and enjoy it because i don't i, I genuinely don't care like when you sit back and think about it like i, you know, I had a a kid the other day was about 20 trying to give me parenting advice because he saw a post i put up with my son and told me I was a terrible parent. So I was like, well, what would you have done with your child in that situation? Well, I haven't got any kids. Well, <laughs> why am I listening <laughs> to you? Why are you giving advice? Why do I care what you've got to say? Yeah. Do you know yeah. what I mean? But it's it's all part yeah. of that that journey. And if you don't have people trolling you and giving you, you stick online, you're not reaching enough people. And the yes. people that I want to reach, what we're talking about, the ones that you can help, they you'll get on their radar eventually. Mm. So they're actually helping you achieve your objective anyway. But someone we were talking about off air before, Rob Moore's got some good stories with trials. No, yeah, I know, yeah. No, Rob's great. <laughs> Rob's great. He, I love. He's he's very thick skinned. Yeah, yeah. He's learned to be, hasn't he? Um, who other than Rob, maybe? Who, who in the you know the vast network of people that you must have met over you know last ten, fifteen, twenty years, who's been really important that you've met that you know life lessons, business lessons that you've um, you've taken on board. I don't know. I've got a lot of friends and acquaintances in, you know, the business world, the corporate, but it's it's my close friends, really guys that I serve with that I still work with now that I can pick the phone up to when I'm struggling and going through a hard time. And they give me like genuinely good advice. Do you know what I mean? And they, they and they mean it and they actually give me the time to, to chat. It's not one of these, uh, you know, just, just do this, Mark, get on with it, mate, and you'll be fine. None of, none of that rubbish, but people, I don't want to embarrass them by saying who they are, but since Christmas, I've been having a bit of an issue. I just struggled. Like, you know, I said I don't care, but, you know, the trolls, I think my son sees some of that stuff and right. I leave it up unless mm. it's like really inappropriate. I'll, I'll leave it up there because then I'll, I'll say to him the same thing I was saying to you, like, don't, don't worry about that. Ignore those people. But, you know, sometimes it gets to you. Yeah. And sometimes you need a bit of an offload. Sometimes you don't think the world's fair. Sometimes the no's you're getting do get you a little bit and you're like, oh, God, I need to offload on someone. And then I've got that good group of lads that I can do that to just like they would with me. Yeah. You know what I mean, they're the most important people, you know, those, those close friends and, and family. And why do you think, is there any rhyme or reason like the last six months that after having like no trolls for a decade or so, is it because you're, you're putting more out there? You're I think trying so. to reach, yeah, Push, pushing out my comfort zone more. Yeah getting out there on social media more no this is the thing not everyone's going to agree with my points of view sometimes i might say something that's really stupid you know if if i'm putting myself out there i kind of have to accept that not everyone's going to agree with me but that's cool you know the world will be boring i think when you do put stuff out that that attracts trolls i think at the same time it attracts your tribe as well and the people that do agree and align with your values and think the same as you do and yeah. you wouldn't have found those people had you not put that video or that tweet out or whatever it is. Yeah. And I don't, I don't do anything like controversial. Do you know what I mean? I'm, I don't go out 
putting out hate comments or anything like that. Mm. But, you know, I'm ex-military. It's, it's bizarre, but I've seen people recently just giving me stick for that, saying I'm a murderer and all this kind of stuff. Oh I'm, like, God, I'm just like, dude, I joined the military to serve my country and to help people. Yeah. And then you've got like these these young people going, oh, you're, you're a scumbag. And I'm like, hmm, okay. Cool. And, and why take the time to even write that? Move on, find something yeah. that you're into. I, yeah. I don't understand the mindset. No, but, me you know. neither. But you know, it is what it is. It is. It is, Mark. And tell me, was there, you know, a, a screw it, just do it moment? Ultimately, took you from from where you were in that hospital back in 2007 to doing what you're doing today, and clearly reaching a lot more people with with your message and your purpose. I think it happened for me very early on. In, in my recovery it was a big mindset shift for me which i guess is screw it just do it but so when i was injured my unit was still deployed and they had a month left in theater then they would come back and have 10 weeks leave and then we'd go back to our unit and have a medals parade where a vip would come along the whole unit would be formed up in the parade square friends family relatives from all over the world would come and watch it's a big deal everyone expected me to be pushed on the parade ground in a wheelchair but i said screw it, just do it. I'm going to walk. It'll be ugly. It'll be painful. I'll look terrible because I was early on in my recovery, but I was like, screw it. That's my goal. I'm going to do that. And when I achieved that, that early on in my recovery, I had this epiphany that that was kind of the way I like do everything. Just screw it. Just do it. Set a goal, go for it. And I, I did that in every area of my life, my health, fitness, finances, career, everything. I just started setting all you know, big goals, small goals, short term, long term, and just it, came, it became a little bit obsessive at some point. But it, what mm. I found was that it kept me on a very positive track, and it, it stopped me because I wasn't sitting still for very long. I couldn't get into a negative headspace. Yeah, and I yeah. just kept moving forward, keep moving forward, kept moving forward all the time. And there, that, that was just from that early stage was the mindset that I'd adopted from the beginning. And from then to to now. You must have had setbacks along the way because everybody does. Mm. What kind of setbacks have you had to overcome? <laughs> Believe it or not, I, I broke my femur doing jujitsu. Oh, which meant say, I had to crawl okay. around on my stomach in my house for three weeks and then six weeks in total just laying on my daughter's bedroom floor unable to navigate around my house. Then I broke my finger as well when I tripped and karate chopped the cupboard and snapped my, <laughs> my bone there so I had a splint on so I couldn't even type at that oh. point but it's funny when when those things happen like when i couldn't type i, I wrote a tweet about it because i could use my thumb and then a virtual assistant reached out to me so uh. i could still do things and i was like oh i've never thought about that before you know it, that was like a limiting mindset i had of well i'm not important enough to have an assistant so yeah, i'm yeah. gonna do it all myself and then i'm like actually i need one now mm. let's see where this goes and it opens up your mind and it opens up opportunities you know and COVID was a big thing for everybody, but we learned to navigate around that and adjust and be flexible and figure it out. So it's just the it's just the the challenges of life, just trying to figure them out and how to get around them. We can't always, you know, we're not always responsible for our situations, but we are responsible for how we react to them. Yeah, you know right. that COVID wasn't our fault. None, none of the cost of living, none of that's our fault, but it is our responsibility to deal with it and yeah. figure it out even if it's not fair it feels horrible it feels unfair and it is we've just got to figure a way around it and trying to control those bits within that that we have control over and those bits that we don't just letting those go and not yeah not overcomplicating it yeah 
it's hard, mm. but it's the only way. And what would you say, you know, advice for, for listeners, viewers who are currently stuck, they can't get from where they currently are to where they want to be? What advice would you give to somebody? First of all, is that really where you want to be? Because a lot of people think they want to be in a certain place. Like, I yeah, want to be yeah, the CEO. True. I want to be mm. a millionaire. I want to live here. But, you know, I think when they look inside, if that doesn't light them up, it's not their passion. Maybe they're just doing it because they think that's what they should be doing. So really, first of all, just make sure that is truly what it is that you want to do and the direction you'll be going in. And then, you know, it's not always a bad thing to take a little bit of a break. You know, we're overwhelmed with information nowadays with phones and email. Everything's pinging and ponging all the time. Sometimes just to put on airplane mode, take a day off and just let your brain decompress. And then I, I always find, I think a lot of people do this, like the weirdest answers come to you when you're in the shower yeah. or you're driving. I'm constantly hitting the little button on my steering wheel going, Siri, take a note. And I'm sh- talking to my phone because these things just come to me. Yeah. You know, like I'm trying to get to this point I've got a mental block and I stumble it and I can't figure something out and then it just hits me but in that moment of silence you know what I mean yeah so you know just take some time out decompress a little bit and then just let it come to you whatever whatever's blocking to get to that next bit just let it come and all the other things we said earlier make sure you've got a goal make sure you've got a plan make sure you've got the right people around you don't be afraid to ask for help as well agreed you know a lot of people think they've got to be the the lone samurai and, and do it themselves you know people see it as a weakness for some reason i know my... no and this this is something i'm learning a lot from rob from consuming his content and being around his his groups is mm. you know outsource all the things that you're rubbish at and the things that you're not that you don't like doing if you can if you have the the money to do it or you, the resources you can call in a favor or, just outsource it yeah and it's such a good feeling like i'm going to drive home in a minute for four hours and it's such a good feeling to know that i can send one email in a minute and that four hours that I'm driving, I'm actually listening to Rob's book right now. Uh, so I'll be listening, finishing off his book, driving home. I'll have an hour of, of headspace where I can start dictating ideas in my phone. And the whole time I'm doing it, my virtual assistant's doing stuff for Stuff's me back at home. Yeah, and yeah, and, yeah. and, and you, it's just like you get 10 extra time. Mm. It's, it's brilliant. Um, you can become so much more productive and efficient. It just you got to reach out sometimes and ask for help. That was the first thing when I started in business back in 2009 and that was working with an organization, American organization that helps fitness professionals. And it was only when I got them put on my radar that I realized, I don't know why I didn't realize that before, I suppose, but that, you know, you didn't just have to be that, that hamster in the wheel. You could take that step back and get other people to do those other things. And for me, it was the same thing. It was, it was getting an assistant, a personal assistant to help. And it was that first feeling of being able to, to delegate stuff to let stuff go mm-hmm. and see stuff go first time i think i went on holiday and having the message you know i phoned back in on the first day that we were in tenerife or whatever and it was just like that put the phone away yeah, do not call back yeah. everything's being looked after and you just you know physically i think my shoulders dropped five yeah. inches you know yeah. it's like wow okay this is a nice feeling yeah. to have richard branson doesn't fly his own planes do you correct. know what i mean correct, <laughs> correct. so yeah. you know let it go <laughs> very true are you currently where you want to be no, never will be. Never will be. I'm all, that's what keeps me excited. It's yeah. constantly striving. You know, these next 10 years of my life are dedicated to uh, business. You know, it's something I'm still very uncomfortable talking about is money and finances. Mm-hmm. But 
I've spent the last 15, 16 years fundraising for charities, you know, making money for other people stupidly yeah, yeah. for some reason. Mm-hmm. And and now, you know, again, you know, in and around entrepreneurs circles a lot more. I see how other people operate. I see the success that they have. I see their mindset shifts. Mm-hmm. And I actually see, you know, I think in this country we have this big, almost like a dark cloud that hangs over the, the topic of money. Yeah. But when you see the good that some people do with it, that have a lot of it, you know, I was talking earlier to someone about that that YouTube guy, Mr. Beast, that my son watches. Yeah, yeah. Does so much cool stuff with his money. Like yeah. I've watched him on Halloween give out iPhones instead of sweets, and then he gave a house away. And I'm like, that would be so cool. Especially because in the world that I operate in, in, in the veteran community, there are so many people that need it. Do you know what I mean? I'd love to be able to just, I say, I would love to, I'm, this is what I'm going to do over the next 10 years is earn a ridiculous amount of money and just do some good work with it. Love it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, Rob's got a good book on money, which you probably read. Read it. Reading. Okay. Listen, listen to it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tony Robbins. Yeah. Um, got it. And then I'm currently uh, Ramit Sethi. And if you no, I'm not with that one. Uh, I and I knew of him, and then I heard him on Dara CEO, and I was just like, that right. I need my I need my kids to listen to this as well. And it's literally just like you okay. know percentages that you're apportioning to money, and you know spend lavishly on the things that you love, and cut back mercilessly on the things um, that that you don't, yeah. but you're still paying for. You know. It's, you know what? I know we're going off on a little bit of a tangent now. <laughs> I'm good at that. But I, I love this, like listening to Tony, Tony Robbins and Rob. And then, so I listened to all this about five years ago, maybe, and I started actually implementing it. Mm, that's the key. And it's insane. <laughs> like, you don't learn this stuff at school. No. Things about compound interest and investing and all this stuff. And I'm like, now I'm watching it happen in my own life. And I've been watching it stack and stack and stack for years and years in the background. I'm mm. like, everyone needs to know this. It's what I'm trying to teach to my kids. Yeah. Like, and it doesn't mean you have to live like a monk and you can't have fun. Exactly. You, you can. You absolutely can. This is what I was, one of the things I was talking to my daughter about on the phone last night. But it's like, it blows your mind. Like, why does everybody not know this? Why is everybody not doing this and living a bit more freer? Yeah. Why is know? it kept from us at yeah. school? Or, yeah. You know, and, and that, you know, compounding um can be applied to to any area in 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 your life you know um and and money being one of them and you know he was talking on the podcast ramit sethi and he was saying you know if you literally saved you know five percent of your money from when you were 16 doing your waitressing or whatever it might be that my daughter just started you know with summer job as as a waitress if you if you saved that amount of money by the time you know you got to retirement age you know and if you just invested it in the in the s&p just track the S and P, and and it was a, a you know six percent return on your investment, and you know as you grow older, that five percent becomes more mm-hmm. money, etc. He said, and it was nuts. I you know I'd never worked this. Out. It was something ridiculous, like seventeen million pounds. Yeah. If you did nothing else other than put that percentage of your income, yeah. you're like, why isn't everybody taught no. in school no. when before you go and get your first job when you're all you know around that GCSE level or even earlier, yeah. you know? Have you seen the the golf example where you bet one penny on each hole. No. So it was, I'm not going to try and do the maths of it, but basically it's an example of compound. It says, we'll pay, we'll play the first hole for a penny and then every hole after we'll double it. Right, right. So yeah, you've got okay. to imagine like me and you are playing and I win every hole. So I get a penny, then two pence, then four pence, then eight pence, then 16. By the end, by the eighth hole, I think it's 36,000 pounds. <laughs> And I'm like, oh, wow. that was like really off my eyes. Yeah. Of the power of compounding. How so did that happen? Yeah, I just started listening and then and implementing. 
bit by bit to uh, to you get this machine up and running in the background just churning it away all the time yeah and then it becomes when you see it working you're like oh i've got an extra hundred quid there slide it in there yeah, exactly. slide, i'm not going to go waste it on yeah. you know a t-shirt or whatever it is i'm going to slide it into the, into the machine and let it do its thing yeah no it's 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 yeah like the, the eighth wonder of the world isn't it mm. compounding yeah um okay let me finish up with this then mark what was the one thing that you've needed to be able to you know take that attitude which you clearly embody of you know being able to screw it just do it and get from where you were to where you want to be and that that one thing could be a quality it could be a quote it could be somebody you've met difficult question to ask i know but has there been one kind of constant thing a vision that's what it is i have a lot of mentors like maybe several for each area of my life we're talking about money now so we talk about rob or tony robbins or these people in fitness it's other people in maybe the speaking world is other people and i just i take a bit from each of them it's almost like if you had a silhouette of me here so i take a bit of that put it in me take a bit of that and then i create a vision for who i want to be in, in all the areas of my life that are important to me and that's what keeps me moving forward all the time to try and create that vision do you know what i mean yeah like no, a little I, bit little bit i of love everything. it yeah i, I, I think you'd you're ultimately lost without a vision. You're doing that thing. You're just going through the motions, aren't you? And you're getting life dictated to mm. you rather than you being proactive. And there's no reason why not, as you say, with the resources that we have today and the opportunities that you can search out or let them come to you if, you, if you've got your eyes yeah. open and your ears open. It's crazy. I just, I love it. I just imagine myself at a certain age, still fit and healthy with a six pack, with a huge success in my career when I've hit all those financial goals and then everyone to be like, how is this guy fit, healthy, wealthy, successful? And, and I just explain, I write a whole book on the thing and say, look, anyone can do this. I did it with, with four fingers and a thumb. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So anyone can do it. How often do you, I'm just to dive into that time a little bit more. How often do you work on that vision? How often do you reflect back on that vision? Every morning. <laughs> Every morning at quarter past go. five, when the alarm goes off, is the first thing I do. It's hop on the floor, 15, 20 minutes meditation, visualization of what I want my life to look like. Then I go into my day. Love it. Give me some advice here. The, the one thing I struggle with, so I'm, I'm good at vision. I'm good at planning, goal setting. I really struggle with visualization. Any, any tips on visualization? Visualization of what? Your goals. How are you going to get there? How do you take yourself? Do you put yourself in that kind of a meditative state then by doing meditation? And when you're in that kind of zone, you're able to kind of see it, smell it, feel it, hear it. Yes, exactly. Okay. That's, that's what I was okay. going to say. I, I fast forward into time and almost right. and I, like, like it's happened now. Like it is happening now. Okay. And I can feel the feeling. I get the goosebumps and I, I, I'm living in it in my mind in the moment. Got it. And then, okay, you know, I don't want to go too <laughs> much down the rabbit hole about the law of attraction stuff, but yeah, yeah, it, it's funny when you see that kind of stuff in action, like the opportunities it creates. Like you walk into a room and your energy just attracts the right people, yeah, and that right opportunities. You know, I mean, you're, you're true to yourself. We we'll talk about values again. Mm. You know, you attract those things that you value. You know, it's crazy. Yeah. And it took me. You got to bear in mind, it took me a long time to get it. I've been a big hairy smelly royal marines commando to then you know talk the way i do now it's taken yeah, okay. me it's been a journey to get here but you know every morning i do that and it just sets me up for the day 
and I, I genuinely believe it creates opportunities. I agree. Mm. Yeah. 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 No, I appreciate that. that. That's, that's really good. Really good advice. And yeah, one hell of a story in, inspiring, obviously people want to connect with you. People want to um, read about you, your book. You need to get some more copies in stock. I know. I've website. got a couple at home. Um, I'm writing another one at the minute. Are you? Yeah. That's okay. one I've had. A, that's one of these projects I've had a lot of no's about. Yeah. Um, follow autobiography. So hopefully I have that done towards the end of the year. But I'm all over social media, like pretty much every platform: TikTok, yep. Instagram, LinkedIn, X, Facebook. We are eight. I don't do Snapchat, but yeah, pretty much anywhere. Amazing. Uh, well, look, Mark Ormer, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it, man. My pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another episode of Screw It, Just Do It. Remember, you can watch this and all future episodes on YouTube as well now. Just search Screw It, Just Do It in the search bar or hit the link in the show description. I'd love for you to watch an episode and let me know what you thought of it as a visual experience and not just an audio one. Every rating and review I personally read and will share on my socials. So make sure you're following me at Alex Chisnell and also at Screw It, Just Do It on all platforms which you can click on in the description. And as you know, every episode is free. So all that I ask is that if you enjoyed this episode, that it's moved you closer to getting to where you want to be, that you share this episode, that it helps one other person do just the same. You can forward the link to this episode, share it on your socials. I don't mind what you do, but please do share this so we can grow this Screw It Just Do It community and help everyone get to where they want to be. Remember, nothing is out of your reach when you know where you want to be. Just ask yourself what small action will move you forward to get you from where you are, then screw it and just do it. Until next time.